0: Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Father God, we thank you so much that you speak to us in your word, the Bible. Uh, Father But we came in this afternoon with all sorts of things weighing on our minds, distractions that might tempt us to not focus on what you've got to say to us this afternoon. And I pray right now that you'd remove those things from our minds such that we can hear you speak to us. We ask that your Spirit would help us to hear the things that we need to hear and to live lives that are pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I was a minister in a church just like this, uh, I used to work for the car company Toyota. Uh, Some of you might drive Toyotas. One of the cool things about working for Toyota was that uh, they were sponsors of all sorts of things. And this is one of the things they sponsored. They sponsored the footy and all sorts of things. But I stumbled across this in some of my random belongings that I'd kept. I must have thought that I'd use this for an illustration one day. Anyway, uh, this is a a platinum pass to the ARIA Awards, the Australian Recording Industry Awards. And uh, we got uh, passes, these platinum passes to the ARIA Awards in 2007. This is 11 years ago. This is when I worked for them. And now this this pass was cool, right, because it got you into all sorts of different... You could go into basically any part of the ARIA Awards you like. So I remember on the particular day this, this event was on, I, I rocked up in, this, in a car and got out, and the Platinum Pass allowed you to go on and walk the red carpet with all the stars, right? So I got out of the car, and there's, you know, there's, there's just people everywhere screaming because all the stars are around. You know, like, There's Nicole and Keith, they're just hanging out there, and I'm walking along beside them. I'm like, hey, everyone, I've got the Platinum Pass. And I'm walking along, and people are screaming, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is really cool, we walked, we walked in and we, could, we were allowed to go backstage. We had this own, like the corporate box for Toyota. It was, it was quite an experience. All the things uh, that were part of being, uh, you know, there with the Platinum Pass. But can you imagine that I, I went to the ARIA Awards, but I didn't know what the Platinum Pass did for me when I went there. I didn't know what it, what it allowed me to get access to. I mean, I still would have, I assume, got into the awards, but... I would have missed out on everything that was meant to be mine, everything that you know had been given to me. But do you know what? Having this pass as I walked in and I had it around my neck, it completely transformed my experience of being at that event. And do you know what? When Paul wrote to the Colossian church all that time ago, he was writing that they might know exactly what they had when they trusted in Jesus and how it would transform their lives. And that's what Paul's doing, and that's what we're going to have a look at over the next couple of weeks as we explore the first couple of chapters of Colossians. But before we dive into that topic about how Jesus is greater than anything else and transforms our life in incredible ways, let's just have a think about who's writing it, who's he writing to, and why is he doing that? So if you've got your Bibles there, it'd be very helpful. Just have a look at the first couple of verses. Let's think about some context for a sec. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Well, so this is a letter from the apostle Paul. He's, he's been directly sent by the risen Jesus to proclaim the gospel message to non-Jews, the Gentiles. And Paul's been doing that. Uh, But he's also been on a few missionary journeys, and because of proclaiming this message, he's been put under house arrest in Rome. So he's writing this letter in around 60 to 62 AD from a prison, uh, under Roman prison. And now Colossae, we'll have a little bit of a map here, right? Colossae was one of those important trade routes east of Ephesus. So if you were trying to head east from Ephesus, you would have had to pass through this town. But the thing is, Paul has never met the Colossians, Right? These, are, these are people that Paul has never met. He hasn't ministered to them. So why is he writing to these people that he's never met in a place that he's never been? Well, While Paul's under house arrest in Rome, he spots a familiar face. He, he spots a guy named Epaphras. We had him in that reading. Actually, just flick your eyes down to verse 7 and see what Paul says about Epaphras here. He's writing to the Colossians. He says, just as you, the Colossians, learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You see, this Colossian friend Epaphras has told Paul under house arrest in Rome about the faith of the church in Colossae. You see, Epaphras has helped to plant this church, and it's a bit of a church plant in Colossae. He'd come to believe in Jesus for the first time, and so now he's telling Paul about all the things that have been happening. And so Paul is writing this letter to these people he hasn't met. Why is he writing to them? What's the point of it? If you've got your Bibles, just flick over the page to chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7, right? Colossians 2, 6 and 7. These are the key verses in this whole book, right? If you want to kind of get a handle on what's this book all about, this is what he says. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, those are verses that will be good for you to memorize if you ever have a chance to do some memory verses. What's Paul doing here in this book? Well, Paul's writing a letter of encouragement. He's helping the Colossians explore that Jesus is greater than anything else, that he really does transform people's lives in in ways that are greater than you can imagine. Now, what's more, he expected that this letter would be read in other churches, not just read in the church in Colossae, but also read in Laodicea and other towns around. And I'm really encouraged by that because Paul's writing to people he hasn't met, knowing that it's going to be read in places all over the place, including in Clavelli in 2018. Well, maybe he didn't know ahead of time, but we get to read it, right? A church that doesn't know Paul directly but has been written for us too. And what I want to do for the rest of our time together is look at three things that Paul says in these opening 14 verses. We're going with a bit of a tree theme, right? So just follow me. The first one is the great transplant. The second one is deep roots. And the third one is growth that leads to fruit. So let's have a look at the great transplant. We're going to sort of start at the end of the passage because this is part of the heart of what he says. So have a look there with me. Chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to this. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right, what Paul's saying is that, that we've been born into the domain of darkness. It's one of the ways the Bible describes this idea of sin. Let me trying to explain how this works. Right? So Larissa, my wife, and I have three children. But I have never in my life taught my children that, that being selfish and not wanting to share their toys is the right way to live. I didn't like sit down one day and say, okay, Isaac and Emmy and Caitlin, let me just like tell you the secret of how best to lie to people. Right? I didn't have to teach them how to do that. They just do it. Now, why is that? Because when we're born, we're born into the domain of darkness. In that movie that just came out a little while ago, The Greatest Showman, it's quite a quite lovely song. I, quite, I really like this. It's a song called This Is Me. It gets played all over the shop. In fact, there are dance classes that run in the hall, and they play it every week. This is me. This I don't know, hip-hop or not. What do they do? Ballet to that. I don't know. They, they play This Is Me all the time, and I hear this line, right, that I'm marching on to the beat I drum. And that's kind of the mantra of our society, isn't it? That we choose to live as if we call the shots, that I decide what's right and wrong for me because it's my choice, but that makes us enemies of God. At least that's the way Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, that we are hostile to him. Now, I'm not a great gardener. People give us plants all the time, and it's one of the perks of being a minister. People give you plants. I don't know why. But we manage to kill lots of plants because we just don't... I don't know what the deal is, but we, we kill lots of plants that come to be given to us. So if you'd like to give us a plant, feel free, but it just might not survive. Now... I have learned a couple of things about gardening in the last little while, though. If you leave a plant in a pot for too long, what happens is this. It becomes root-bound. I don't know if you know about this. I've just learned about it, right? A root-bound pot is not in a good way because the roots have nowhere to go. It can't get the nutrients that it needs. It's kind of stuck there, and it can't, uh, can't grow as it was meant to. Now, what would be worse than a root-bound pot would be a, a root-bound pot that's in a dark room. It can't get access to light. There are two, uh, two options for a plant like that. Uh, one option would be that the plant stays where it is and it just kind of shrivels and dies, right? There's, there's not much hope for that plant. Or probably a better option would be that you give that plant a transplant. You transfer it from the pot in the ground, sorry, transfer it from the pot into the ground where its roots can grow deep, can, can get access to the nutrients and to the water that it needs and and its foliage can bloom. It's, it's like freeing the plant to live the way that it was meant to. And what Paul is saying here in this passage, for the Colossian Christians and for anyone who's put their trust in Jesus, is that you've been freed from the domain of darkness, like that root-bound pot in a dark room, into the ground or into the kingdom of his beloved Son freed from the domain of darkness and death into the kingdom of light and life. And you can understand how Paul might describe that as being delivered or about it as being redemption, right? freed from slavery. That's the idea with the redemption. Now, how does that work? Well, Paul, if you kind of cast your eyes over a little bit to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, this is how he describes it. How does this all work? He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... God has now re- reconciled you or Jesus has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Right, our great transplant. Our our redemption has happened because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus gives up his life for ours so that we might be brought back to God. And I want to say if you're here with us this afternoon and you hear this and you realize that you haven't yet made that transfer, that transfer hasn't yet happened for you, then I want to I say we're, we're so delighted that you're here with us because we reckon that this news transforms people's lives, not just now but for eternity. And we really want you to, to keep thinking about that, investigating that. In fact, we run a course here called Christianity, Christianity Explored. There's a little box on that, your little yellow card that we gave you on the way in. And if you tick that box, we would love to help you explore this how it is that that transplant can happen for you too. Because when you know that incredible transfer, well, it transforms your life. And that's what Paul gives thanks for in the first few verses of this chapter. So we've seen the great, well, that great trans- transplant. And secondly, we see the Colossians have got deep roots. So verse 3, I'm going to skip through from verse 3 onwards. But notice what Paul prays for. He prays with thanks to God for their faith in Christ, for their love for all the saints, and for the hope laid up in heaven. Faith, hope, or faith, love, and hope. Now, the hope that Paul's talking about here is not just wishful thinking. You know, when you use that word hope, you might talk about, you know, I really hope that my job interview goes well on Monday. I'm sort of hoping it goes well, but I can't really be certain about that. I hope that that party that I'm going to, I hope the weather's going to be good. It's wishful thinking that the way that we might use hope in the way we normally speak. But hope in the Bible is a certainty about what's going to happen in the future based, what's, based on what's already happened in the past. So he says, you've heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, what's happened in the past, and now you have a certainty for the future. It's a hope based in the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, who's taken our punishment for us and given us new life. A hope is a powerful thing. I was thinking about this this week. Before my family and I moved to the eastern suburbs, I I can't remember ever going to Watson's Bay before we moved here. And... When we finally made our way or sort of veered our way out to Watson's Bay, it's a beautiful spot, right? You head out to Watson's Bay and it's a lovely lookout and we had some fish and chips at Doyle's. It was really, really nice. And then we walked up the hill and got to the top of the hill, which is where the gap is, right? And so you get to the top of the hill and you sort of peer over the edge and it's a really long way down. It makes sense to why some people might go there who have no hope. But when we got there, I noticed this sign, Guess what that sign says? It says, hold on to hope. There is always help. See, who knows how many people have, have gone to the gap where that really big, long fall is. They've gone there with no hope. No hope for their life or for their future, which is exactly why Lifeline have put those signs there. They've put phones there as well, so people who are in real trouble can... Make one last ditch call. Now, who knows how many people have gone there, but just with a glimmer of hope, their life has been changed. And do you know what? The gospel message of Jesus is the ultimate message of hope. Because it's more than just wishful thinking. And that hope, that certainty for the future, that the Colossians have heaven stored up for them, it's like a bank deposit, stored up for them, a certain future coming, well, it changes their life now. Do you notice the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus? They trust in Jesus more than they trust in their careers or in their family or in their wealth or whatever else. And it's produced a love for all the saints, for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you know what I think that's one of the reasons why I think that tree metaphor, that idea of the tree with deep roots and you know, big branches of growth, is a really powerful one to describe what happens in the Christian life. Because there are lots of things in life, we think about it, you describe some sort of growth. And it is like you move from one thing and you move on to something different. But that's not what happens when you put your trust in Jesus. You know, when you're in kindergarten, you might learn the ABCs, but you end up writing essays or or blogs or, I don't know, whatever else you write. But in the Christian life, we don't move on from Jesus. What we do is we grow deeper roots so that when the trials of life come along, they don't just knock you over. When other things that look more attractive look more attractive to you, you don't just go running after them. You stay and you grow. And Paul says that that gospel message has been changing the world. It was changing the world in the day of the Colossians. You notice the the language he used? He said that the gospel of Jesus is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. Now Paul's picking up on some language that that runs like a thread all the way through the Bible. That language of being fruitful or increasing uh, runs the whole way through. In chapter 1 of the Bible when God is speaking to Adam and Eve, he said, he gives them this command, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he picks it up and he kind of repeats that in slightly different language with with Abraham. But the same idea, he gives him these promises and he says that you, Abraham, and your family line, well, as you are fruitful and as you multiply, well, through your family line, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what happens is that, That when God's people, Israel, when they fail God, well, God describes them as being fruitless. They're not doing what God has asked them to do. And we read just before in Psalm 1, we'll look at it in a minute, we read before in Psalm 1, like the, the person who is righteous is like a tree planted beside streams of water who produces much fruit. Do you realize what Paul's saying to the Colossians? He's saying... Hey, you guys, do you realize that you are part of the very plan and purpose of God, that this gospel message would change the world? And do you know what, brothers and sisters, if you're one of God's people now, well, you're part of that same plan and purpose too. And it brings us to our third point about growth and bearing fruit. You see, Paul's thanked God for the, the ways the gospel has transformed the Colossians, And now he prays for them. And listen to what he prays for, the Colossians. Verse 9, he says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You see, Paul's moved from from thanking to praying for the Colossians, that they might grow that they might live lives that are worthy of God and pleasing to Him. And the first way they're going to grow is in knowledge. Now some people might think this, and you might hear this in different, in different circles, right? That you sort of have to, to believe in Christianity, you've got to like just take your brain off for a second, put it to one side, uh, and then you know, take a leap in the dark. But that's not what happens. Uh, knowledge isn't the enemy of true spirituality. Paul prays that they'd be filled with knowledge and a particular type of knowledge, They're filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, the knowledge of God's will is a knowledge that comes from God's Spirit, who enables us to grow as we read His Word, right? And that's one of the ways that you've got we have got to keep growing, right? Have a look at someone. Let's listen to the, way, I guess, the poetic way that someone describes this. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What's that person like? The person's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You see, the outcome of the knowledge of God's will is that you're able to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And what Paul does is he outlines, what's that going to look like? This is all kind of bound up together, and we've got to keep reading to figure it out. You'll notice these things that are spelled out in the next couple of verses. right? Just notice these four things. What is that going to look like? It's going to look like bearing fruit in every good work. Number two, it's going to look like increasing in the knowledge of God. Number three, it's going to look like being strengthened by God with all power for patience and joy. And number four, giving thanks to God the Father, right? So bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, and giving thanks to the Father. And Paul gets a little bit repetitive with this bearing fruit language, right? What he thanked God for, he now prays for the Colossians that they might bear fruit, what he's been saying has been happening with the gospel all over the world, he now prays that that would happen in the lives of these Colossian Christians. A wise older Christian once shared with me when I was younger that he starts each day with a prayer asking that God would lead him to the good works that God's prepared for him in advance to do. And I thought to myself when I heard him say that, I'm like, do you know what, you've really understood what's going on here. That God has a good plan for your life, that not only are you to know this grace of God, the goodness to, of God to you in Jesus, but actually that he's got good works prepared for him to do the, out of the overflow of the knowledge of God. And that's why growing in the knowledge of God is the second thing that Paul talks about. The part of being filled with the knowledge of God means that you're gonna learn how to put that word into practice. It's kind of a reciprocal relationship, right? As you, as you learn uh, to put God's word into practice, well, you grow in your knowledge of God and your obedience to God means you keep on growing in Him. But we need God we need God's help to be able to do this, don't we? Do you notice there that kind of the passive, right? Being strengthened with all power for patience. And joy. I know that in my life, there are lots of times that I've struggled with those two things. With being patient with other people who I'm impatient with. And to not find the joy when I really should have that same joy. But here it says that we're being strengthened with all power. And the power that he's talking about here is that when you've put your trust in Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and it's the power... That's the power that was at work to bring Jesus back from the dead. That's the the power that he's talking about here. An incredible power, given strength by God. Which means that we can therefore give, give thanks to God the Father who has worked all this in our life. Now I've got to say that there are thousands of ways that God might want to grow you this year. There, there might be ways that if you think about your life, you think, do you know what? My Christian life, if you, you call yourself a Christian at this point in time, I've become a bit stale. I wouldn't say that I'm growing right now. And I guess my question to you is to kind of keep thinking about, well, how is it that this passage might work out in your life? And I'm going to suggest one way. I'm just going to suggest one way. I'm going to explore it for a couple of minutes. And the way is one of the things that Paul does in this passage. And it's prayer. For my 21st birthday, I received this book. I noticed the other day that it had some writing in the front of it. Someone had written a little message. And it's this book. It's got a different cover now because it's got a new edition. But when I got it, it, was the first edition. This is a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation by a guy named Don Carson. Now, when I got this book when I was 21, I didn't read it. And I, I sort of regretted it a little bit later and read it when I was a bit older. But Don Carson has some really helpful things to say. I'm just going to share three things with you about what he says about prayer. You can find them in this book, although I've given them three S's for you to remember. Right? So here's the first S. The first S is seasoning. What he says about prayer is to let the prayers of Scripture flavor and structure or season your prayers. One good way to do that is to look at some of the prayers that Paul writes at the beginning of lots of his letters, like this one that we just have just been reading this afternoon. I look at some of the prayers and the prayers and concerns that he prays for other Christians, and I found that actually doing some of this stuff has been really helpful for me. In fact, this prayer came up in the little app that I use. I'll tell you about it in a sec. A little app that I use called prayer Mate. It came up. I was preaching on it today, and it came up in my app. You know, Colossians chapter one verses nine to fourteen. Because as you learn to, to see the things that are on God's heart, well, then you begin to pray like God wants you to pray and have a heart after God's own heart. Let the prayers of Scripture season and flavor your prayers. All right, so seasoning. The second one is sustained. Sustained. All right. here's one that I have had to work really hard at. And here's the thing, sustained, is that working ways to overcome mental drift. It right? could be happening right now. I don't know. Right, Figure out ways to overcome the way that your mind drifts off into something else. Have you ever prayed like this before? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are such a good God and that you've given me your son, the Lord Jesus. And I wonder where I put my keys last night. I think I might have left them in the door. And you're off into something completely different. You've got to figure out ways to overcome that. To overcome that. And here's a couple of ways that have have worked for me. One way is to actually pray out loud. And I realize that sounds like a bit of a weird thing to do. If it seems weird to you, then maybe find a quiet space rather than necessarily walking down the road. But that could be cool too. Pray out loud so that you stay on task. And pray about the things that actually are on your heart. Another way, that I've got this really big, long word document that I just write out, type out prayers that I want to particularly focus on. I reckon another way that's been really helpful for me is to pray with other people. Pray with other people. Alright, so seasoning, sustained. The third one is support. Now I mentioned just before about the app that I use. I have found this little app on my phone uh, which has got a good Aussie title. It's called Prayer Mate. It's a pretty Aussie title, right? Prayer Mate. Now one of the things that's been really useful for me is that I I say to people all the time, I'm going to pray for you about that. And then What I found happening was that I wouldn't do it. But prayer mates actually really helped me with this. It means that I can kind of jot something down, and I write it down. And every day it kind of just gives me five things to pray for. So I've got this growing list, and sometimes I take things off a list because they have been answered by God. It's been fantastic. But you know what happens with prayer? You don't just fall into a good prayer life. Like, oh, look, here I am. I'm in a great prayer life. You have to work at it. And I want to encourage you to, to not just know the things that you know about God and just kind of leave it there, but actually keep on working at it because of the grace and love that he's shown to you. Not because somehow God will love you more because you have a great prayer life, but it shows your dependence on him. Now, if you're someone who's here with us this afternoon and you are exploring, I just want to say that that being able to pray or talk to God, our Heavenly Father, the God of all the universe, is such an incredible privilege that That God, when you pray and say, you know, even if it's just in your mind, that, that he listens to you and wants to answer your prayers. That is an incredible thing. God is not some far away God. He's present and delights to hear you. That is an incredible thing. I want to finish by sharing with you a story that I heard from a guy named Rico Tice, who runs the Christianity Explored course, actually. He tells this story of a woman named Thelma Howard who died in 1994. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but she was the housekeeper to Lillian and Walt Disney. And the Disney kids loved uh, their housekeeper, Thelma Howard. And she was, got described a little bit later as sort of like the, the modern day or the, the real-life Mary Poppins. Uh, the Disney kids loved her so much that every year, Walt would give her a present for Christmas. And instead of giving, you know, her food or money or flowers or you know, a car or something, or turkey, I don't know, instead, what would give her shares in the company? Year after year after year shares in the Disney company. But sadly, Thelma died in nineteen ninety-four in relative poverty. As people went through her estate and the few possessions that she had, they discovered these papers in a drawer. And they discovered that. Thelma had the equivalent of shares in the Disney Company worth about 11 million dollars. But for her, those little pieces of paper that she had that had been given to her every year, they didn't really make much sense to her. She just kind of filed them away. She had no idea about the riches that she had. But can you imagine how her life would have been transformed if she'd known the incredible gift that she'd been given? Friends, don't be like Thelma Howard. And may we be people, may you be someone who knows the incredible transplant from darkness to light, someone who, who digs deep roots that you might grow to bear much gospel fruit because you know how much God has done for you in his son. Why do I pray that God will help us to do that. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the incredible riches of knowing Jesus. Thank you that he's the one who's brought us out of the domain of darkness and into his eternal kingdom, that we have the sure and certain hope of heaven laid up for us. Father, we pray that knowing what you've done for us in Christ, that you would help us to dig deep roots that we wouldn't be easily blown over or swayed by things that come along. But that we would grow to bear much gospel fruit and live lives that are pleasing to you. And I pray for anyone here this afternoon who's still investigating these things. Father, please would you help them to, to figure them out. To ask that you would work in their life. And Father, that you would transform their lives too. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au